You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello, you're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Corey, a.k.a. Bayou Benders, alongside Mason Dixon, and this is Habs Nightly, your hub for Habs content. to another episode of Habs Con Habs Nightly. <laughs> uh, we have a really great episode in store for you guys. We have a guest on today. Uh, before we get to the guest, um, Mason, how are you, bud? I'm great. Really happy to be joined by Matt Drake of Habs Size on the Prize today. We really appreciate appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, Matt, how are you, bud? I'm doing terrific. Thanks for having me, guys. No, thank you for uh, for freeing up some some time to uh, to come on to Habs Nightly, man. It's awesome. All I had to do was pawn my toddler off on my older daughter, so it was it was a relatively <laughs> easy uh, schedule fix. That's that's sick. Uh, did you do like give her like a slide a couple of dollars her way, or just uh, maybe she gets out of doing like uh, the dishes? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let her not <laughs> empty the dishwasher tonight. Is that, that'll be the, the reward, I guess. Nice, nice. I can't wait to like uh, to be like my own house GM and, and, and do things like that in the future. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. It, it comes faster than you expect. And then you're in a, and then you got multiple kids and you got to balance and juggle everything that they want to do. So, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, I, I uh, I'm a I'm a man of jinxing. Apparently, uh, if you just look at uh, Jeff Petrie this season, you can ask Mason. He likes to say it every episode. I was uh, swinging for the fences with my love for Jeff Petrie just uh, to you know like a month ago. <laughs> our uh, our pre like season preview episode, our listeners will remember. Corey came out and said that he would put money on Jeff Petrie winning the Norris this year. Yeah, that one's, uh, I don't think that one's going to happen. No. That one's staled. And with that, I guess we could talk about, I guess, another stale performance from Petrie, which was in the New York Rangers game. Primo made his season debut. Um, I, I can't remember, was it the second goal the Rangers scored where Petrie kind of got, I want to say walked, but like he kind of looked like he was missing half a step there. On the second one, yeah, he got caught kind of in no man's land there. And I was actually debating it on Twitter with a few different people. They were saying, oh, well, there was two other guys that were open in the back uh, coming in as trailers. And realistically, Suzuki was right there. If you look at the replay, any of the GIFs or, or videos, you can see Suzuki got back. So really what he needed to do was just commit to Kreider. And instead, he was kind of like lost in space and like kind of just looked at the puck like he was going to put his stick on it but then didn't. And he also didn't skate over to, to Chris Kreider. So he left him wide open on the back door. And uh, of course they scored. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think he's nursing an injury. That's, that's just a theory. They haven't come out and said it, but there's been other people that reported that they saw him walking around having difficulty walking. So, you know, it could be that he's nursing an injury in which case they have to shut him down. They can't just let him keep playing through it is what the way this season's going. It's not worth it. No, I'm glad you actually brought that up. Sorry, Mason. Uh, no, Cause good. I was just, I was just reading uh, 
your latest article on uh, Hab's eyes on the prize, and you had stated that, and I was like, why did this not occur to me that he could be playing injured? So uh, that actually, like, it now makes me think of, of you know, everything I've, I've led up to the thinking about Jeff Petrie until reading said article. Well, yeah. Oh, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I don't know if it's true. Honestly, it's a theory. It's mm-hmm. just, but what you watch him play, and it's like he's not doing the same normal things. The other thing is they've basically asked him to do, you know, what Shea Weber used to do, which kind of neuters him in terms of what he normally does effectively. So, right, I don't know. My theory is he's playing hurt, and also trying to, you know, do things that aren't in his wheelhouse. So, mm-hmm. it's just, it's unfortunate. But yeah, Norris Trophy not happening this year for him. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> Apologize, I'm almost cutting you both off here, but no, I totally agree with what both of you are saying. And we talk about Petrie, and it's not like that New York Rangers game is kind of, I think it's just been proof of what's been happening all season. He's been getting walked, he's lost a step. It's it's almost like it's not, it's also affecting his hockey IQ. We the play in which he pushed, oh, who was it? Was it Larkin? Yeah, Dylan Larkin into Jake Allen. And I understand Larkin's one of the faster players in the league. But I can't remember in previous seasons where Peachy was getting beat outside and then in almost on a game-to-game basis like we've seen this year. No, and, and that one was a pretty great example, too, because he also gave the puck away at the blue line that led to Larkin getting that rush anyways. Because you could see just complete indecisiveness from him. He was coming up towards the blue line, didn't know where he wanted to go with it. And then next thing you know, throws a weak pass and Larkin's on his way. So he honestly, credit to him, he caught up to Larkin pretty good. Um, Like you said, Larkin's one of the faster guys in the league. But then when you catch up to him, like the last thing you want to do is shove him towards your goaltender. uh, Because if he didn't do that, he would have had time to turn off. And, you know, Jake Allen's not hurt right now. So... I, I don't know. Again, I, I hypothesize that this all has to do with him playing injured and that's why he's second guessing himself. That's why he's getting walked. That's why he's getting beat outside because normally uh, he'd have, you know, the, the ability to pivot and, and maybe make some of those plays without having to overthink it. Definitely. And now we're, you're talking about putting him on the sideline. I totally agree. If he's nursing an injury, this like this season's already lost. We were talking a few episodes ago. Montreal is on pace for their worst uh, statistic, like points and standings finish since 1941, and they played 42 games. So this season, you know, I don't, I think it's obvious that this season's kind of a rebuilding year. And we have a guy in the wings, Matthias Norlander, who I think a lot of fans are very excited to see. And he will be in the lineup Thursday, but instead of taking out Petrie, who has two points on the season and, you know, is struggling, maybe nursing an injury. Dominic Ducharme has decided to bench Chris Weidman, who has four points in his last four games and has been really one of a few shining bright spots on our power play this season. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had my, my negative words for uh, Dominique Ducharme a few times this season. And uh, again, it's him not really being able to use puck moving defensemen very well. And Petrie is a puck moving defenseman technically. So, I mean, I think this is just, it, it's good news in the sense that we get to see Matthias Norlander, right? This season at this point should be about evaluating people to see who's, you know, who's part of the future of the team. Uh, and Norlander figures to be one of those guys. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what he can bring. Uh, I kind of 
feel for Chris Weidman because, as you mentioned, he's been doing pretty well. I don't think he deserves to be taken out of the lineup. But um, good news that we get to see Matthias Norlander at the very least. No, definitely. And I guess I pose the question to you because I, I can't seem to figure it out to save my life. But I, I just don't understand what Ducharme's, I guess, problem is with puck-moving defensemen because we've seen it with Kulak. And I guess Montreal is an organization. Julian had the same thing. Kulak would play good, play well up in the top four, and then get moved down to the bottom pairing. And, you know, there are a lot of, I would what would you call them, Kulak stands on Twitter. I don't think he's a Norris candidate. But the guy can definitely play in your top four, and I think Weidman's done a great job this season. Uh, Niku's had some decent games. I think Romanov's been playing the best hockey of his career these last four games. And we just constantly see the same thing, David Savard, Ben Sherratt. Sherratt especially playing overtime minutes. Like, I can understand if you want to put him out there against the big guys. I, I, I don't agree with you, but I can see your line of thinking. But I playing him in overtime makes no sense to me. So I just wonder why why do you think Ducharme is doing this? Do you think this is a general manager? Like is this Mark Bergman's doing, or what, what's going on here? I think, and I've said this before, I think he's out of his depth. I mean, we you look at the the Stanley Cup playoffs run. The team that he had there was pretty much plug and play right? It was simple. Mm-hmm. It was the best players on the other team jump on the ice. You tap number 24 on the shoulder. Okay, Monsieur Dano, vas-y, go fix all of our problems with all the best players <laughs> on the other team. And then from there, you just, you know, your bottom nine kind of just gets to feast on whatever's left, right? It, it was a huge luxury for him to have that centerman that could just shut down the best line on the other team and did that throughout the course of the playoffs. And now he doesn't have that anymore, right? Now he has to actually play matchups and you see him figure it out for maybe, I don't know, a few minutes per game. Um, because they they have stretches during each game where they look like they're dominating the other team for like let's say six minutes and then all of a sudden they fall off and they're they're getting just run over and getting quality scoring chance after quality scoring chance. I also don't think it's 100% his fault on the defense because I've had words for Luke Richardson many many times. I think he's the one that I think he's the one that really overvalues kind of the more stay at home version of defenseman. I think that's why you see Ben Sherrod on the power play. I think that's why when, when they had like a four on three power play against who it was Detroit, I believe they had a four on three power play and Sherrod's out there. It's like, he does not have, you know, an elite shot. Um, he's, he's been kind of showing off some offensive skills this season a little bit, but he's not the guy you want out there on a four on three power play. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have him out there. So I, I wonder if, if Luke Richardson isn't making that call a little bit, um, but I also still believe that Shavman is, is just out of his depth and uh, I don't think he really knows who to put there. So he's just putting the people with the most experience. That's fair. No, I think that's a, a good explanation for sure. And it's funny you bring up Luke Richardson. There's also Alex Burroughs who's on the, um, who's the power play coach. And I look at this coaching staff and I just, you mentioned Ducharme's out of his depth and, I just wonder if there's a problem here when you look at the, the experience, I guess. I know Richardson was at, has been on the coaching staff for, has it been three seasons, two or three seasons now? Ducharme was hired with him, but there's not a lot of NHL coaching staff experience that we had with Claude Julian. Say what you want about him. The, the, he's Claude Julian. He's a Stanley Cup champion. He's coached in the NHL for decades. And I think Montreal's run into this problem too, where you look at the players and you mentioned when we started 
the like before the podcast we started recording the Gallagher incident with Barkley Goudreau I love Gallagher but to me that seems to be like a lack of leadership it was a pretty boneheaded decision I just wonder if losing Shea Weber Price um, Edmondson in the locker room too like if if this team is maybe lacking some leadership on the bench that's a, a pretty good point and yeah I mean Shea Weber he's extremely well respected right uh, I think even the other team just having him out there it makes them think a little bit more about what they're doing uh, so losing him is obviously big losing Carey Price is even bigger right I mean that having him back there not just the confidence that he can make a lot of saves that other goaltenders can't but the fact that he's like a third defenseman right when you dump the puck in against the Montreal Canadiens and Carey Price is in net you know, he's going to go out and he's going to challenge you. Like, you're not going to have an easy time playing dump and chase. And right now, with the goaltenders they have, they're having a much easier time because they don't have anybody that can play the puck the way that Carey Price can. So, yeah, they've lost a lot of leadership. Yeah, that, that's a problem. But realistically, if you want to look at what's wrong with the Montreal Canadiens, we can talk about coaches. We can talk about uh, what, what systems they're using, what's working, what's not working. Realistically, from, from my standpoint, the problem is Marc Bergevin. Right. The, the mark of his tenure has been over-reliance on Carey Price and an inability to, to fill the net and score goals. Right. You look at last year, they don't get into the playoffs and they don't go on that run without Carey Price and without, I, I think, Philippe Dano was a big part of it as well. But his, the teams that he builds, they're just not, they, they don't have enough puck-moving defensemen, they don't have enough scoring, and they rely too much on their goaltenders. So you take away the goaltender and they're in big trouble. Right. They would have missed the playoffs uh, the last four years in a row, if not for the format changes uh, and for Carey Price. Right. So if you just look at the way the team is built, it's unfortunately not a team that was built for success without, you know, good defensive hockey and good goaltending. And now that they don't have that. And again, as you mentioned, uh, Weber being out, uh, Edmondson being out, Price being out, they're exposed. Right. They can't win games without that. And that ultimately falls on the general manager. No, I agree. I think Jake Allen definitely gets some credit last year too. When and I honestly, sure. I honestly don't think that I don't think Allen's an elite goalie in this league. But I put none of the blame. He's let in some soft goals, but this season I've really felt for Jake Allen. I think the stat is Montreal's won all four of their games. They've scored three goals, and every other game they've scored two or less. So you've hit it right on the nail there. This team lacks offense. And I think, Corey, I know you've had some stuff to say about it, but Mark Bergevin's uh, acquisitions in the offseason, too, just kind of don't really give me faith that he has much of a direction for this team, though. Uh, uh, far from it. I feel like uh, I feel like he's had, like, somewhat of an idea of what he wanted to do. And then after – like, this season was, like, his, his pinnacle – as far as like making it work, he made all these trades and now everything's about to move on from him and let's see what he's capable of doing. And I don't think to go from a very exciting um, free agency and off season the previous year to this one that was relatively quiet um, as far as what we're bringing in and then just losing, you know, the, the greatest fucking five on five line ever for this team. Well, in, in present, but I just – I think he is – he's kind of way over his head at this point. I think the moves aren't, in a sense, like he his vision is gone. 
And I think he's just trying to make moves that kind of make sense. Oh, well, we just, I just let everything walk away from us uh, in a sense. What can I kind of just fill the gaps with? And it's really like Dvorak. I don't get me wrong. I think he's a, I think he's a very talented player, but um, if we were going to lose KK on, on top of, you know, not paying Philip Dano his, you know, extra five, you know, extra point five that he wanted to keep him on his team. Then we lose KK and we just bring in Dvorak, which is, I feel bad for Dvorak. He's going to get shit on his probably his entire tenure here, unless he just goes off because of a boneheaded move by Mark Bergevin, who just, I feel like he was just so excited for the playoffs and the Stanley cup run that he forgot that he was going to have to actually be a fucking GM after and has just been worrying about his salary and what he's doing next in his venture and not worried about getting this team back on a, you know, at least a successful run or <laughs> better than we are now. And not addressing any of the issues from last year, mm-hmm. right? You look at last year's record, right? Um, And this is not like, I've said it a few times where I've done rants on my podcast talking about wanting to fire him. I've been wanting to fire him for years, to be honest, personally, <laughs> as a fan of this team. Um, and it's not because I think that firing him is going to immediately make this team better for this season. It's too late for this season, yeah, right? No. He already didn't address the problems of last year. You look at last year's record. Yes, I, they deserve to make the playoffs, right? They were one of the better teams in the North Division. They deserve to make it. They deserved every bit of that run, right? Nobody thought they could beat the Leafs, the Jets, or the Golden Knights, and they did. Right. They deserved every bit of it. But if you look at that record, right, what were they? 24, 21 and 11. That doesn't get it done in a regular season. In a normal year. Right. It doesn't. Right. So he should have been looking at that and he should have been. Well, what do we need? Well, um, obviously, we need more scoring. And um, knowing that Carey Price was going to be out, which I think the general theory is they knew that he was going to be out well before it was announced. Right. Mm hmm. So knowing that and knowing that you needed scoring, why didn't you address any of that, right? You lost Philippe Dano. You didn't want to pay him the extra half a mil, right? Then where are you going to go and get your scoring, right? Because if you're okay not paying that extra half a mil, which, by the way, I, I don't agree with that decision. I think you give him the 500K and you keep him and then look for the scoring, right? If you, okay, you, you didn't match the KK offer sheet. I actually agree with that one. But then what did you do with the savings? Okay, you went out and got Christian Dvorak. He's not a high-scoring player, right? He doesn't fix your scoring problem. Um, he paid Nick Suzuki. I agree with that. Nick Suzuki is potentially a fix to your scoring problem, but he also needs people to play with. You needed to go out and sign some more, uh, you know, scoring forwards. And he didn't do that. And it's not necessarily true that there was a ton of them available or anything in the off season, but like he, he has never done anything to address the actual issues. He, he's always been okay to watch Carey Price kind of save his job, which let's face it. He has. Over yeah. the course of his entire tenure, the only reason he didn't get fired, you know, three, four, five years in was because Carey Price was there saving him. And he, he's never addressed the issues that, that have not allowed them to get over that hump. And then he gets, of course, uh, a run to the Stanley Cup finals that kind of validates him. He goes, oh, everything I've been doing is great. And then now look where we are. It, it almost seems like to me, and I think we, Corey and I have talked about it before, but Mark Bergevin's plan, his famous, what did he call it, his retool? was to basically ride defensive play and surround Shea Weber and Carey Price with a decent enough um, support cast that once they made the playoffs, 
mm-hmm. be able to make a run. And you know what? I'll give credit where it's due. Last year, it worked. That was about as good as it could have worked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That is exactly what Mark Bergevin, his entire plan has been to do. But you you cannot build a team to ho- that's meant to hobble into the playoffs and hopefully you go on a miracle run like that because now we've had our miracle run and we're not going to have that this year. And I, I love what you said about he didn't address any of the problems. I think the carry price point especially was very good because, you know, Mark Bergevin knew – price was going to be out for who knows how long at this point and his solution was to pick up sam montembleau off of and it wasn't even like if i'm not mistaken yeah like off of waivers like it wasn't like he was readily available he just became available and he was like this will this will suffice yeah and, and we've seen what jake allen's had to to cope with and with in regards to the kk offer sheet i totally agree with his decision not to sign that deal. But the only reason I was okay with not signing Philip Deneau was because it meant KK was going to get some, you know, more playing time. It's an opportunity as a second line center. Well, you didn't sign Deneau and you didn't sign KK. And now you have neither of them. And now you're trying to get Dvorak to play a shutdown role that Dano, you know, he just can't fill those boots. So it's, it's a mess. And I think what frustrates me most about this season is that there are the reports of Mark Bergevin being non-committal about a contract extension. Well, perfect. <laughs> if I'm, but if I'm Jeff Molson, like, I just don't understand why Bergevin is still in this position when he, you've given him, an opportunity to clean up his mess and he's not committal. Like, should it not be time to bring someone else in? I saw, I saw on Twitter, uh, someone had mentioned it. Uh, it might've been uh, our friend Jason. Um, that was just like, you know, someone saying that we should get rid of him this season. And someone said, it's not going to fix the issues right away. Why not just finish the season off and just not, uh, you know, just not offer him a contract or, or whatever, whatever they plan to do. Just let him finish this one out and and let him walk away from the team. Well, that's what a lot of people keep saying, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't get rid of him now because it's not going to fix anything right now. Well, it's not fucking about fixing it right now, right? It's about, it's about proving we're, we're ready to move on. Proving we're ready to move on and also letting the person that you're bringing in actually develop a plan and be in control of that plan. The last thing that I would want as a fan of this team is for Marc Bergevin to be in control of the deadline. So he gets to pick, you know, who, oh, are, you making, okay. who are you trading? What kind of picks are you stacking, right? If 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 you're going to, if you're ready to move on and if you're ready to finally say, all right, we're done with this guy. We gave him a decade and he hasn't gotten it done. Then you want the new person to be in control of, all right, who are we moving and what picks are we stacking? You stand a pretty good chance right now of being in the running for Shane Wright. Okay, so that one's pretty obvious. But the rest of your draft, this is one of the stronger drafts that we've seen in the last 10 years according to most scouts, right? And I, I agree with most of those scouts. I mean, I haven't seen everybody. I don't watch every single league around the world, but I can tell you from, from what I know about this draft, it's going to be pretty strong. So you want whoever's coming in as general manager to have that opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to evaluate all of our players. I'm going to decide who do we need, who do we not need, and who are we trading for picks? And then they also get to decide where 
they're trading for those picks, like what rounds, right? They know what players they want to target. It's, it's, it's a big difference, right? So a lot of people are saying that, you know, give him the rest of the season, let him walk at the end of the year. I say, why? He's, if you're letting him walk at the end of the year, he's not going to be drafting any of those players with those picks. So why not let the person coming in make those decisions? And another, just to add to that, like, Mark, we're, a lot of people are talking about Ben Sherratt, for example, and saying, oh, thank God he's scoring goals. We can move him at the trade deadline. Mm. Nothing Mark Bergevin has shown me gives me faith that Ben Sherratt's going to be moved at the trade deadline, right? So I totally agree with what Matt's saying. I think it's time to just let someone come in, clear house. And honestly, I know Shane Wright is supposed to be a can't-miss prospect. If Montreal gets the first overall pick, however, I still don't know if I trust Trevor Timmons and Mark Bergevin to make that selection. Ooh. Who do you think they would go with over Wright? I don't, I don't know, but I'm just like, even if they draft him, the development side of it, like there's just a bunch of factors in which I really dislike Mark Bergevin. And I think he gets a lot of the blame, but Trevor Timmons has also been part of this organization for the better part of two decades. And I think he, as the assistant GM, also deserves a lot of the blame. So I don't know. I just think there's a lot more people at fault here than Mark Bergevin. And that's why I think it's very important to get someone in now, like you said, because another GM can come in he can bring in his own scouting team. You know, he can kind of shake things up. Yeah, I mean, there, there is, um, what's his name? Uh, Matthew Savoy, who's like the consensus number two. Um, I, and I don't think he even speaks French, but he's got a French last name. So that might attract some of the old guard that, that <laughs> yeah. really love that. Really love that. Um, I'm, I'm not really part of that crowd, to be honest. Uh, I speak French. It doesn't qualify me to do his job. So um, whatever, but you got a point there is that, you know, we don't know what they're going to do if they get the pick, right? We don't know what they're going to, what the, what they'll do if they get the fifth overall pick. And the point being is if we're moving on, we want to let whoever's coming in and taking over, they get to build that vision from, from now, instead of doing it at the end of the season, when it's too late to make any of the deadline moves. Like if you, for example, if you know, you're going to divorce your wife, you don't then let her, you know, wait, let her sign some mortgage papers for you, file your tax returns and stuff, <laughs> right? You just, you get it done. And that's what Jeff Molson's doing here with Mark Bergevin. Pretty much. That's, that's a great example. It's like you're, you're refinancing your mortgage with uh, somebody that you know you're going to divorce, right? Or they're going to divorce you because we don't yeah. know if Mark Bergevin's coming back. Yeah. And that, I, I agree with you hundred percent. It, it bothers me that he apparently has, and, and this was rumored. We, we don't even know if it's hundred percent true, but it was rumored that he already has a contract extension offer and he's like mulling it over. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, if you're not sure, it's like, here's the door, right? You want to go to California and get a 10, go ahead. It's kind of like yeah. what they did with the, how they were like perceiving it with the Dano situation, you know, where it's where they, instead of, you know, I'm sure it was there was some truth to it, but them, you know, putting out in the media that uh, Dino received his, uh, what you call it, his contract extension and did not like it, and uh, used that instead of it. I think Dino said that you know it really wasn't, it really wasn't that he was offered what he was looking for, and they tried to play it up that it was just you know a half a million off. I think it was, uh, 
I think they tried probably tried to lowball them just to just to get it done. But I like I like what you what you said about it though. You're absolutely right. Um, as far as let someone come in now and give give them the keys early on, they can start the process and not have to clean up someone else's mess. So I don't I don't know how to say it. Like uh like give them a chance to to work their first you know initial presence as GM and and make the the first picks and not just you bank bank off of whatever was left for you and see what you can do and then start a year later you're finally getting your first real you know changes for this team um I don't I don't understand if Mark Bergerman does have a contract somewhere else or an offer um who would even offer him not nine plus years with a team um I doubt this dude makes it another three before he gets booted unless he just goes somewhere and they fucking go on a tear, but I don't, I don't see it. Well, I have an interesting question for uh, Matt. So let's say tomorrow Bergevin's fired. Jeff Molson calls Matt Drake. You are the new GM of the Montreal Canadians. <laughs> what kind of moves <laughs> are you making? Like, how do you think this is fixed? Obviously it's a long-term uh, process, but what are some initial things you'd like to see a new GM do? Well, I, I guess I got to call a press conference and prove that uh, that I can speak French first. Right? <laughs> so, uh, everything's good. Um, and then what do I do? Well, first thing I do is I start evaluating, right? Um, number one, who's my next coach, right? Because uh, Dominique Ducharme is not the guy. So that's the first thing that I think I got to figure out is who's yes. going to be my next coach uh, and what kind of system is that guy I want to run. So I want to have maybe a, a nice meeting with him and figure out what do you, what would you see this team doing and who do you see as, you know, essential pieces, right? Obviously you have some untouchables, right? Nick Suzuki, untouchable. You do not trade Nick Suzuki under any circumstances. I think the, the last parting gift I hope that uh, Bergevin gave us is that contract for Nick Suzuki because I think he's going to live up to every penny of it. Right. So you figure out your untouchables. Uh, obviously, he's one of them. I think Kerry Price is another. A lot of people will disagree with me on that because of his price tag. But I, I really don't think that you that you move one of the best goaltenders on the planet. Um, and then what do I do? I start calling up teams, uh, especially teams that I feel like are going to have, uh, you know, trouble getting into the playoffs. And I start offering them all the players that I don't think are necessary to the future of my team. I think Ben Sherratt stands out as one right? He's having a pretty decent go offensively this season. I think he's going to have some value and I think people might pay a pretty price for him, right? You might be able to get a draft pick and maybe uh, a young fringe prospect that you can try to develop, right? Um, I think you got to look at Jeff Petrie. I think you got to look at trading him. Uh, Honestly, I I think because of where he's priced in terms of uh, an AAV on his contract, I think he's very movable, even though he's having a rough start to the season. Um, I think outside of that, I'm uh, like on the forwards, it might be tough, right? Because I, I don't know how much value, for example, um, Christian Dvorak is going to have, given that we just traded for him. Are we even going to be able to get back what we gave up to get mm-hmm. him? Right. Oh. It was a protected first round pick, but I don't know. Is anybody giving us a first round pick back for him right now? I don't okay. think so. So probably going to have to hold on to him. But again, you're going to have to evaluate that. And me, I start the sell off early, right? I'm looking at teams that, again, are maybe going to struggle to get into the playoffs. And here, I got some assets that maybe help you get in, right? Don't wait for the deadline. 
unless you feel like some of those players are going to increase in value over the course of time and be more valuable at the deadline, then maybe you wait on those ones. But, but I started right away, honestly. And um, yeah. And order of business number one though, is I, I fired Dominic Shaman. I put a new coach in there because I don't think that he's, uh, I think he's out of his depth. So no, I yeah. totally agree. He's, he's, he's got my vote. <laughs> I could do with Matt Drake GM. <laughs> I, I actually really like what you said about system and establishing one because one thing I've noticed with this team and I want to know if you maybe disagree with me but it's just it's always seemed this way for me is that Montreal seems to like to have a system trade for players and then try to mold them into that system Whereas I think we've seen a lot of other more successful teams in this league, such as the New York Islanders, like Barry Trotz has a system. He's going to play defensive hockey, but there's, there is an exception because Matt Barzell is a special player and everyone else on that team has to, you know, play kind of a defensive, maybe more boring style of hockey, except for Matt Barzell. He has the long leash to do what he wishes. And what I think And I don't think it's purely a Ducharme shortcoming. I think this is an organizational thing for the, I don't know, like last decade or so that I can remember watching hockey is that Montreal seems to just force players into roles that don't exactly suit them. I think if Nick Suzuki is given an opportunity to say, look, you're important to this team. You're all of our offense. Go, you know, like we're not going to win this season go out there, score 75 points, I think that could really benefit him. But I just want to know what your take is on that. It's something I, I'm not sure if other people agree with me on this, but it's definitely something that I think is a, it's kind of a problem with Montreal is that they, they really try to force players into a system instead of creating a system for those players. I think you're, you're bang on. I mean, you see it right now with kind of Jeff Petrie it's almost like I wonder if they were like hey we want you to play more of a Shea Weber style and it's like that's not his style of game and I think that's part of why he's hesitating on decisions because he's not sure because he's not like clearly this is night and day Jeff Petrie last year versus what we're seeing right now and I have a hard time believing that that's only because he's playing hurt or only because he's having a down year right I think that's they're trying to push him into playing a certain type of role that he's not uh, that's not conducive to, to what he does well. Right. I think when you look at Alexander Radulov, he, I forget what they offered him, but I think it was almost the exact same amount of money that he got offered to go to Dallas, or maybe it was even more. And he went to Dallas anyways. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Is that because they were neutering him and they were trying to make him play the system that he didn't want to play because he's more of an offensive minded guy. He wants to drive the net. He wants to take the puck in with controlled zone entries and, and drive at the net. I, I wonder, right? I don't know for sure. So I'm spitballing on that, but I think you're right. I think they try to push people into a system that they like. And I think the, especially the problem this year is they're trying to play last year's system without the same personnel, mm-hmm. right? Last year was very much like we're, we're playing defensive minded hockey and we're going to try to attack on transition, right? We're going to, we're going to feast on transition and we're just, we're, we're not going to allow a lot of goals because we have carry price and we have pretty good defense overall. They're playing the exact same way this year without Philip Dano, without Shea Weber, and without Carey Price. So it fits with what you just said, that they're acquiring players and putting them into a system that they already have, 
And then when it doesn't work, they're like, oh, well, this is what we're left with, right? Four yeah. wins in the first 18 games. I mean, I, I, I think that's the issue here is like, if you really looked at it and said, you know, what could this team be doing different? Well, you, you'd have to completely rewrite your playbook in terms of how you're attacking, right? In terms of how you're defending as well. Because right now you see them get lost in the defensive zone very easily and they get lost for long periods of time and they get shelled right yeah but then they'll have you know maybe a period or two every game where they play really well and they're getting more of the scoring chances and that tells me that it's not system related it's basically luck they're lucking their way into it and they're having some players make really good individual plays uh for periods of time so it's 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 a long way to say yes i agree with what you're saying (laughs) no i i I'm glad that I'm not the only one that sees it that way. I think Peachy is definitely a great example of that. I think there was an interview a couple, maybe a couple weeks ago now in which he did say that he has been trying to emulate Weber and he thinks that's taken away from his game a little bit. I think another big example, and I think a more alarming example of kind of pigeonholing a player into a system that he's not comfortable with is Alexander Romanov and Mm. I say that because I I don't know. Do you remember when he, his first like half of last season, I loved that kid. Like I still, he was making plays skating into the zone and we've seen him do it the last few games more, but it was almost like halfway through Ducharme kind of caught him by the balls and said, stop. And his game became less electric. He was, you know, it looked like he was worried he was going to mess up. And that's really alarming for me when Alexander Romanov has been hyped up and is supposed to be this guy who's going to be a staple on our blue line. And I don't know. I just, it just seems to me like there's a reason prospects haven't developed here. And I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong. I mean, I think Romanov, especially he was better under uh, Claude uh, Julien than he was under Deschamps. Like when Sham came in, things seemed to change a little bit and he didn't get to play very much during the playoffs. I, again, I, I do think there's some responsibility on Luke Richardson there as, as the coach of the defense. Um, and I'll, I'll put it on uh, Alex Burroughs too, right? They don't seem to be letting people play their game. And you, it's funny you brought up um, Petrie saying that he was trying to emulate Weber a little bit. If you notice too, that on the power play, they try to feed the clapper from the point to Petrie all the time mm-hmm. as if he's Shea Weber. And it's like, number one, you can't shoot it like Shea Weber can. No one can at all. Nobody can. I mean, there's maybe one or two guys in the league that are, are close, but they're trying to basically use him as if he's uh, Shea Weber on the power play. It's like, well, uh, number one, that play wasn't even very effective when Shea Weber was shooting it last year and now now you're trying to do it with an inferior shot so it it again goes back to what you're saying of them putting people into a system they already have and they're like this is what we do and you're going to do this because this is what we do rather than trying to look at what do they do well and figuring out how to use that right i mean for fuck's sakes i was watching the the rocket game the other day and they have cole caulfield in the bumper spot on the power play oh i I wanted to shoot myself in the head i was getting so angry that was my next question for you. I was going to talk about that. Oh my God. I could not. And I, I saw that on Twitter and I just, I was like, fuck. <laughs> it 
it was brutal. I don't understand how you play. Like pretend, let's pretend he doesn't have the shot he possesses. He's five foot seven. Like, what's he doing there? It's it's ridiculous. And see, that's why I think it's it's organizational, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's not just here, it's it's the entire setup yeah. for us. From the top down, this is what they've decided is that we we do this and we acquire players in order to do this. And it's like you should realistically be be trying to create a system where players where their strengths are utilized as best as possible. Right. And um, you mentioned earlier uh, the Barry Trot system in um, in New York. It's an interesting system. I hate it. Um, they play a two one two in their own zone. Um, and all they're doing is like hunting two on ones constantly, right? They're just trying yeah. to, they're trying to force you up to the point so that they can tip a pass or, you know, body check somebody and take it and go on a two on one. I hate it, but guess what? He knows he doesn't have like necessarily the athleticism outside of like Barzal and, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Beauvillier. So he plays that system and it works. Right. But he's playing to the strengths of his players, oh, yep. which the Habs yep. don't do. That's why you see Cole Caulfield in the bumper spot. It doesn't make any sense. He's not a big body. He's not creating uh, like a ton of traffic. He's not creating any big screens. You're just taking his best weapon and neutering it. And I, I don't know if, if it's happening in the AHL, it's happening in the NHL. For me, that screams it's coming from the top down and we need like a major organizational organizational overhaul. That's why one of my podcast episodes, I titled it Time to Clean House, because I mean everybody, right? They got to get rid of everybody. I think it it sucks that they lost uh, Joel Bouchard, because I thought he was a pretty good coach. Um, and you saw him leave. And again, I wonder, were they telling him this is what you're going to do? And he didn't want to do it that way. And that's why he ended up leaving. Yeah, he didn't. It's not like he took an NHL job when he left. He went and took another AHL head coaching job. So funny, strange, isn't it? No, that whole situation, I think, was weird to me. I've, I'm kind of, I'm not as high on, I'll be honest, Joel Bouchard as other people are. I was upset to see him leave. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the problem is. I think, like you said, it's, it's organizational. And you know, going back to the Islanders, the Islanders are a great hockey team. If you look at their roster, I really don't think they have that much more talent than the Montreal Canadiens. I think they are more talented, but it's funny you mentioned, you know, Barry Trotz is letting them play to their strengths. I think it's just a testament to how, how important coaching is in the National Hockey League. I think it takes the back seat to players more so than other leagues. Like the NFL, you really talk about coaching. Even basketball, they talk about coaching a lot. I think this is kind of proof that coaching does play a lot into how a team performs in the National Hockey League. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, they're a perfect example. I mean, like you said, I don't think they have that much more talent. They got like a 90-year-old Zidane Chara on the blue line. And yeah. somehow they're <laughs> one of the more effective defensive teams. Like, what's their – their blue line is what? They got Pelic, Pulak, um, what's his name, Mayfield, uh, Andy Green. I think yeah. they still have Andy Green, who's also like 90 years old. Uh, they got uh, Zidane Chara and um, Sezikis. Like that's not that doesn't scream oh elite defensive team, but somehow they're pretty good defensively. Why? Again, it's it's system based. He's he's actually letting them play to their strengths. He's utilizing people in a way that that is conducive to them actually winning hockey games, which 
the Habs aren't doing, right? Again, they're trying to play last year's style. I talked about this with my buddy Jared from Eyes in the Prize at the beginning of the year. And we were like, if they win a lot of games this year, it's going to be a lot of like five, four, six, five games, right? Because this team's not going to be able to play defense. Yeah. And what are they doing? They're trying to play defense and they're not scoring. So they're getting shelled. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, my ideal world for the Montreal Canadiens this season is that we lose a lot of hockey games, but we play Ottawa Senators style. Because I'm living in Ottawa right now. I've been to a few Sens games. The Sens lose. Have, they're not going to win a lot of games this year. I think they're a good team. But they lose games scoring four goals, five goals, right? Like, that's the kind of thing I would like Montreal to do this season oh. because it would just be exciting. At least you're interested, right? Whereas now I'm, you know, I'm in college. I'm putting homework back, putting off assignments, watching games. And I'm like, okay, great. We've scored one goal. It's the third period, right? It's just frustrating. Yeah. It's really annoying. It would be wonderful to see them, you know, absolute barn burners every time. If they lost every game six to five, I'd, you know, I'd get to the end of the season. I'd be like, that was fun. You know, it kind of sucked watching them lose all those games. They lose every single game six to five. But it'd be like, wow, you know, you, you had some barn burners there. Those were fun games to watch, even if you lose. Now no, they're sure. like, it seems like, you know, they they won. They, what Jake Allen has two shutouts out of the four wins. Mm -hmm. And they were like, uh, like, it's it's just it feels like a chore to watch them. Like I'm not in college. I, I work for a bank and I got three kids and like my kids have come out <laughs> and asked me multiple times this season. I've had my kids come out during games and be like, are you okay? Because normally <laughs> they're used to me, like in the playoffs and shit, like yelling at the TV and getting excited. And this year I'm just kind of sitting there not making a lot of noise. And like my, my daughter has come out multiple times been like, daddy, are you, are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Just get out of here before i'm not all right <laughs> i i find myself looking at my phone more or just being distracted by shit more than i've ever been watching this team and it's it's kind of frustrating like there's been times where i've like started to fall asleep because i just got back to, to fucking working and it wasn't like last year where i every fucking game i was off so it didn't matter what i was doing the next day now i'm like did i just fucking sleep for like five minutes like what's happening and I just look up and the score didn't change so i'm just double guessing myself like maybe i just maybe i just blanked out for a second they've they're just still doing the same shit it's uh it's been tough <laughs> it's uh funny you mentioned the playoffs because last season you had a nice little cameo on city tv in game four which <laughs> i thought was pretty funny um do we just want to talk about like how did they even for those of you who don't haven't seen the clip, um, it's on Twitter. I think you have it posted on your Twitter page too. Uh, pinned, uh, you got interviewed and you predicted who was going to score the goal. Like, how did that go down? Well, they actually they reached out to um, a friend of mine who used to be one of the editors on Eyes in the Prize, and then she couldn't do it or didn't want to do it. I don't remember. And then she reached out and she's like, "They they need somebody." Um, and this was during the, what the Vegas series was when I first started doing it. And so I started, they brought me in as like their analyst for like pre and post game. Um, and then during the series against the lightning, like, well, they asked me to keep doing it. It was supposed to be for one game and uh, during the Vegas series. And then they were like, Oh, I'll keep coming. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll keep coming. And then we get to, um, we get to the point where I was doing it pre and post game. So I would do it. I would go live with them at six o'clock uh, with actually with George Larac. 
and we would do a pregame thing and then they would have me come back by myself for like 11 p.m and so before that game uh game four i was on with george larac and he's like they're like well what predictions do you guys have and george larac is like well they're gonna lose tonight and i was like ah. <laughs> i was like i don't want to say who's gonna win and who's gonna lose i was like but i'm gonna tell you this josh anderson's scoring two goals and then we get to, I, I go to my buddy's house to watch the game and I go back to go on TV at 11 o'clock and Anderson had scored one goal. So then she's like, I'm going to ask you for a prediction on, on live. Uh, are you okay with that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to predict Anderson's second goal. I'm like, he's, he's the one who's scoring. If we win, it's going to be him. And then she, she goes live and I'm like, what do you want me to do if they score? Cause if they score, like, I'm not going to be able to stand here. I'm going to turn around and I'm probably going to sell you. And she's like, yeah, it's fine. She's like, if they score, go nuts. And then, so she, they go live on TV and I'm like, yes, yeah, uh, I predicted before the game, Josh Anderson was going to score twice. He's only got one. So second one's going to come now. And then like, I think four <laughs> seconds after I said second one's coming right now, he, he actually fucking scored. And then I just immediately started jumping up and down. I was like, holy shit. I'm right. <laughs> I love you kind of just like walk away. Like you just like walk past the camera. Like this interview can be stopped for a, a solid, like another 15, 20 seconds. Um, that has to feel amazing. Uh, there was only one moment on Twitter when we got to Foley and I was like, to scoring, like, uh, this could be a big night for to He scored a fucking hat trick. And I felt like amazing. I, I couldn't imagine what it's like, uh, to predict it and then have it half come true. And then you go back live again and you're like, yeah, I'm, a, you know, I'm expecting him to do it again. And like a couple seconds later, it happens and you just on live television. <laughs> yeah. You, what, what you don't you jump right now. You just like, like what you fucking did it what you don't see either is like about a minute and a half after that right because the crowd's going nuts we all got tear gassed everybody standing in that area got tear gassed settle down like really uh, oh yeah like a minute and a half after that video ends like that video ends and then like literally the cameraman uh he he asked me he's like who scored was it anderson i'm like it was it was fucking anderson right after i said it and then we're kind of just standing there talking about it for a second. And all of a sudden I hear just like pop. And then you oh, just geez. like when, when you get tear gas, you, you know, away. it's, it's a very effective weapon. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, and uh, immediately like the cop, the riot cops started coming in. We're just like, shit. Cause I had another interview that I had to do with them. So I couldn't even leave. We had to like go over towards where the <laughs> Metro entrance is. Cause there's a, there's a Metro station right there in a St. Sabaya. Uh, chicken joint and I was like let's just go over off to the right where the stairs are and we can like try to hide from the riot cops uh, but they shot several canisters of tear gas it was Jeez. Uh, yeah it was it was something yeah I wish I wish we had that footage too like a gorilla gorilla style uh, Matt Drake you know follow up questionnaire you just got like red <laughs> red odds and shit you're ducking ducking in an alleyway <laughs> doing his best Jeff Petrie impression yeah <laughs> oh man that's that's unreal dude I, I mean yeah i just wouldn't think that i didn't even know that even happened so it's kind of mind-blowing but i mean you guys are just gathered watching you know montreal in the stanley cup and i guess i mean was there rioting or was it just the sheer <laughs> fact that we were gonna win that they were like you know we got to calm this down before like uh it gets out of control it's that's just it's on no they they were they were out of pocket the the mm-hmm. spvm was out of pocket on that they they shot tear gas um game six uh vegas 
there was tear gas coming out that so i got tear gas i think three four times during that run oh um, a diehard fan <laughs> oh yeah and I, I wasn't even doing anything like they i was standing with media so it wasn't just city tv that was there right like our rds was there uh global was there you name it they were there and wow. so i'm standing over in the meet i'm not even in the crowd and i got tear gas like four, four times i think the first time that it happened was after the game six against Vegas, but that one was maybe warranted because there was a lot of people and they were going nuts. Cause we just mm-hmm. won the, we just booked a ticket to the Stanley cup yeah. finals for the first time since yeah. 1993. Everybody was losing their minds. People were climbing up uh, lampposts and shit. And there's, there, there was definitely a little bit of rioting going on, but those are all just dickheads. They're not even real Habs fans. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they're just, yeah. just there for the chaos. Yeah, oh. they were sh- they were shooting tear gan- tear cast uh, canisters specifically just into the crowds, right? And like the the one after Game Four against the Lightning was ridiculous because that crowd wasn't even that big. It was nowhere near the amount of people that were there for like Game Six, for example, against Vegas. Game Six against Vegas, there um, I was talking to the cops because they had cordoned off the media area, and they said they're like we've we've taken like head counts basically, and right now downtown there's uh, over a hundred thousand people just in this area of like several blocks jesus wow. christ you guys need to uh need to grease your poles up we do that down here right before mardi gras we just grease up the poles so people can't climb <laughs> it's disgusting <laughs> but it's effective <laughs> they, they, they probably should have considered it i mean i don't know it was it was nuts though and uh let me tell you getting tear gas don't recommend it yeah i haven't been tear gassed i've, I've had pepper spray to the eyes that's unfortunate but uh i'm guessing it's it's on the lines of that i would probably think it would be worse um but man kudos to you for <laughs> that's a diehard fan dude just you know just having fun on the street and all of a sudden you just got a, a can flying in with uh some of the worst chemicals in it oh yeah they're again i, I felt like they were out of pocket for most of it other than that game six Against Vegas, there's. I didn't think it was necessary. They were just kind of. I think. I think they were hungry for it. I think they were looking for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, That's it made it makes for a great story. At least you have that coming out of it. So, we really appreciate you uh, coming on. We've actually had a almost an hour long conversation. It's been great having you. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Add, you know, plug away anything. Like the floor is yours now. Oh, well, listen, uh, I appreciate you guys having me. It's been fun. I always love talking about the Habs. So if anybody's interested in the other content that I got for you, you can go check out www.habseyesontheprize.com. Uh, we cover everything over there. You want to take a look. We got injury reports. We cover prospects. We have a guy in Sweden that covers European prospects for us that was just at the Four Nations Cup with Trevor Timmons the other day. So we we got wall-to-wall coverage over at Eyes on the Prize if you want to check that out. We're also on Spotify uh, you can see us on Spotify. It's just eyes on the prize colon for Montreal Canadiens fans, Apple podcasts as well. Google play. Um, for me, it's mostly the bottom six minutes. I do a podcast after every single game. Uh, it's about 15 minutes long. I just talk some shit uh, about the game. Uh, <laughs> oftentimes I go on rants about wanting to fire the coach and the general manager. So if you like that kind of stuff, you know, check us out on Spotify. Uh, I guarantee rain or shine. I always have an episode out the very night of the game. So yeah, trust me, if they're listeners of this podcast, they're used to Ducharme slander. So they'll be sure <laughs> to check that's it very out. True. That's very true. There's it's plenty of that, plenty of that in my neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, perfect. Once again, then thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. We really appreciate you and your insight. 
Um, I've been a, I've actually been a avid reader of Habs on the Price for Habs Eyes on the Price for many years now. So it's been great having you on. And uh, well, without further ado, Corey, do you have anything else to add? Um, we have an ad read. <laughs> oh well, we can add that in post. <laughs> that's about it no uh matt it it was uh, an absolute pleasure i didn't uh we don't really know a lot of things down here in the south and mason hooked uh got me hooked on Habs eyes on the prize and we we utilized y'all's injury tools and all that uh in some of the first year that i was working on here and it's definitely been a lifesaver but uh no you guys are awesome uh you're definitely cooler than polar bear toenails like your uh uh, Twitter profile says, but it's been an absolute <laughs> fucking pleasure having you on, though. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, thank you. No problem. Buddy. Hey, guys, we want to thank Matt Drake for coming on and uh, all his work at Hats on Eyes on the Prize really make it uh, an essential place to look for any type of Habs news. Uh, Habs fans, I recommend it. You probably already know about it. You've probably known about it longer than I have. But uh, before we get out of here, we have an ad read by our friends over at DraftKings. The NHL season is underway, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net, Net you big win, net you a big win with promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only, a minimum $5 deposit, a $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, folks, that's the episode. Uh, Mason's gone. He's got to write an essay. Uh, once again, shout out to Matt Drake. Uh, that's an, that was an amazing um, episode. I can't wait to edit this and listen to it again. Uh, everyone was really hitting great keys except for me. I'm basically just the uh, rambler <laughs> of the podcast, but it's lovable. Uh, but, folks, this has been Habs Nightly. We want to thank y'all for listening. We want to thank Matt Drake and thank Eyes, Habs Eyes on the Prize. Uh, folks, you know where to find us. You Please follow us at Twitter at Habs Nightly and myself at Bayou Benders. Go ahead and follow Matt Drake as well. Go watch that awesome video about uh, him predicting the, the two goals by Anderson. It's, it's, it's hilarious. But, folks, also, if you want to say something to us, you want to leave us something, uh, please feel free to go leave a voice, uh, I guess a voice message, we'll call it instead of a memo uh, at www.speakpipe.com forward slash Habs Nightly. You can do it on your phone. You don't even have to get on your computer. You can tell me 
that I ramble too much, which I know I'm going to get a fucking poster above it. That says it here. I go rambling. Anyway, folks, it has been an absolute pleasure having this episode ready for you guys before the big game against Pittsburgh. Hopefully Crosby doesn't try any of that shit with us that he did with Washington. Anyway, you know, have a great night, a great rest of your week. Talk to you guys again on Monday. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.